Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Gospel lesson this evening, we heard the account of the man born blind, whom Jesus healed at the pool of Siloam. We do not know too much about this man. We don't even know his name. But he is important to our Lord. He, for he cared for him both by healing him and in response to what happened to him afterwards. For in response to how the Pharisees treated him, uh, how after he was healed, our Lord Jesus Christ gives what is known as the Good Shepherd Discourse of John chapter 10, speaking about how he is the Good Shepherd, and he cares for his sheep, and he will keep them safely in his hand and not cast any of them out. Now, as Jesus passed by, our text says, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man, or his parents, that he was born blind. He had lived his whole life so far without sight, without being able to see the Lord's creation. He required the help of others, not only to get around, but also to survive, as he was reduced to begging, as with many that were born blind or became blind at this time. Everyone knew him as the blind beggar where he lived. They knew his parents, they knew that this had always been his life. They knew he was always blind. He may have heard such questions before as rabbis passed by with their disciples. But Jesus gives an answer that he had never heard before. His blindness was not the result of his sin or his parents' sin, but was that so the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, Jesus said. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. With that he made clay with his saliva, anointed his eyes with it, and made him, sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam. When he came up from the water, he was no longer in darkness. Now this man had a new life. He no longer needed to beg. He could see. He could work for his own livelihood. He could go places without needing the hand of a guide. What a joyous occasion. And not only for the man. This should have been joyous for all, including his neighbors, his parents, and the whole community. A miracle had been performed in their midst, and a man born blind could now see, because Jesus opened his eyes, something that had, not, had been unheard of since the world began. But not all saw it this way. Many were disturbed that Jesus opened his eyes. Because if Jesus was the one who opened his eyes, that gave evidence that he was the Christ. This meant that he was the long-awaited one of whom the Lord said through Moses, Him you shall hear. And whoever does not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And again, this may seem strange to us that people would be disturbed by this, because just like the man having his sight restored, 
This is good news. It is good news that the Christ has finally come. However, the problem was that the Sanhedrin, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and other legal scholars, had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. To rejoice with this man, to give thanks to Jesus for what he had done, would be dangerous for their standing in the synagogue and in the community. Once this man's neighbors were convinced that this was indeed the man who was born blind and not someone that merely looked like him, and once they found out that it was Jesus who healed him, what did they do? Did they rejoice with him? Did they praise God? No, they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. They brought the man to the Pharisees in order to be interrogated. Rather than rejoicing with him, they shun him and hand him off to those who would revile him because it was Jesus who opened his eyes. And what did the Pharisees do? They don't marvel at what happened. They don't give thanks to God. Instead, they attempt to use this man to attack Jesus because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. So they said to him, give God the glory. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. After interrogating the man and learning that he believed that Jesus was a prophet, they try to get him to reject Jesus. They revile him, they mock him, and they belittle him. When he asks if they also want to become his disciples, they mock, saying, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And when he responds to this, they justify their actions. They justify their treatment of him, their reviling of him, their abuse of him, saying, you are completely born in sins and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Not just out of where they were meeting, but out of the synagogue. And in effect, in a Jewish town, out of the community. The poor man, who is for him? His neighbors hand him over to the Pharisees. The Pharisees cast him out. Are there any on his side? Surely his parents must be. No, not even his parents. Indeed, the Pharisees at first did not believe the man was blind at all, so they called his parents. And what did they do? Did they defend their son, whom they had taken care of since he was a child, whom they gave shelter to until this very day? No. They said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, or who opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. They knew. They knew that it was Jesus. They would have heard from the man or from the crowds, but they abandoned their son because they feared the Jewish leadership. So he was left alone. He was by himself. He had his eyes opened. He had a new life given to him, but now he had no one on his side, no one to rejoice with him. Instead, they were all opposed to him. Some were more actively opposed to him than others. Some more actively rejected him than others, yet all opposed him and distanced themselves from him in some way. But in the end, this was not because of the man himself. They were not rejecting him at all. 
Instead, they were rejecting Jesus who opened his eyes. As long as the man confessed that Jesus had opened his eyes, as long as he praised Jesus for what he did, as long as he believed that Jesus was a prophet, he must also be rejected because they rejected Jesus. For anyone who has tied themselves to Jesus must be rejected. And this is not something that's unique to this man born blind. It's actually something that is universal to all who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have had their eyes opened by him so that they are no longer blinded by sin, but see clearly in the light of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Yes, because we see, because, we, because the Lord Jesus has opened our eyes, we have a giant target painted on our backs. For by faith, we are in Christ. In baptism, we have put on Christ. And so, of course, the devil and all of his minions and the sinful world will hate us because they hate Christ. And if they hate us, they will attack us. Yes, they'll attack us more than they do the rest of the world. For if the devil desires to bring as many people to hell with him so that they have to suffer just as he suffers, why would he waste time attacking those that are already on their way there? Why would the world try to entice and seduce those that already belong to it? Yes, as Christians, as believers, as those who have been enlightened by the gospel, we can be sure to face more opposition in this way. The devil, Satan, the accuser, and all his evil angels will attack us all the more, accusing us of our sin, attempting to have us dwell on it, to threaten us with it, so that we might fall into despair, possibly even despairing over our hope in Christ, despairing to the point that we say he cannot save us at all. Likewise, the sinful world will put before us all sorts of temptations and deceptions. It will lay before you all the treasures it possesses, all the allures of wealth, of complacency, of an easy life, suggesting that these things are far better and far more fulfilling than the life of self-denial and sacrificial love for others. It puts forward the threat of losing opportunities or friends or even connections to family, if we hold strong to Christ and what he has said in the scriptures. It will put forward temptations to sin, whispering that it matters not how we live, it matters not if we display a Christian life. For if God loves to forgive sin, and if your flesh loves to sin, then there's no harm in sinning some more. It will say these and other things in an attempt to draw you away from Christ. This opposition can even come from those close to us, from friends and family who are not in Christ. Not everyone will respond well to the invitation to come and see Jesus, to have their eyes opened and to see the dark for what it truly is in the light of Christ. Sometimes this rejection is polite, other times it is anything but. Others, it is more subtle as they attempt to guilt us or pressure us into being ashamed of Christ and of his salvation. Let me get this straight. Are you saying that a mass murderer can repent and believe on his deathbed and be saved? What kind of God does that? Why is it so important 
that we be married. It's just living together. I'm sure God has more important things to worry about. Is going to church really that important? Sundays, holidays, sports, summer, weekends are for friends and families. Church, you can always fit in another time. Do you really believe those things that Paul wrote? They're offensive to a lot of people. Do you really think like that? How could you be so unloving? All of these things in their own may not seem like much, but they add up. They grow like a snowball rolling down a hill until maybe an ultimatum is presented to you, maybe contact is cut off, or maybe dislike grows and venom and reviling comes from the lips of those we love and care about. Aimed not at us, they'll tell you for sure, but at Jesus, or at our brothers and sisters in the faith, but surely you're not like them. All with the goal, whether they know it or not, of having us be ashamed of Christ and of rejecting him. And oh, how much more does this sting than the outright attacks of the devil and the world at times? How much more does it hurt to disappoint friends and family or to have them be angry, upset, or cold with us. When I am afraid, David writes, while being hunted by his own father-in-law, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Yes, despite all the ragings, despite all the subtle and underhanded attacks and mockings, even if all were to reject us, hate us, and be opposed to us, even if all were to turn their backs to us so that we are alone, like the man born blind who had received his sight at the hands of Jesus, this I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Yea, what can the world do to me? What can the devil do to me if God is for me? If God deigns to protect me, if God desires to hold me in his hand and watch over me, if God desires to save me from my sin, from my, from my weak and wicked flesh, from the world and from the devil, if God desires to make me clean, to open my eyes and grant me life everlasting in a new and restored creation, because Jesus has taken what is all of what is evil in me and has placed it on himself in order to give me all of his that is good, what can anyone do to us? The devil's threats are empty in light of Jesus' victory on the cross and his atonement of our sin. The world's temptations are vain in light of what God has promised to those who are faithful. Yea, even the loss of friends Family and status in our community will be restored in the family of God and in his kingdom. See how the man born blind was cast out of the synagogue. And after that, Jesus had compassion on him, and he sought him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. And it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
The Lord Jesus did not leave this man on his own, but after opening his eyes, he continued to care for and love this man. Even though he was rejected and scorned and became a byword among his people, he was accepted and loved by the Lord. His eyes were opened, he was given life, a new life, a life that did not end in death, but a life that will be filled in the new creation with fellow believers who through their faith in Christ have become brothers and sisters, greater and closer family than any we could ever have or desire. In the midst of all of this, it would have been much easier for the man who received his sight to simply reject Jesus, to do as the Pharisees said, and he would have had back his friends. He would have had his neighbors again, his family, and his synagogue. Yet when Jesus came to him, he desired to believe all the more. He continued steadfast in the faith, and the Lord strengthened his faith, and the Lord accepted his worship as a spiritual sacrifice despite the man's sin. For by faith we please God, and things are made acceptable in his sight. Thus in this man we have a brother and an example. While we don't yet know his name, the Lord knows it, and it has been recorded in the book of life. And in the new creation, when all with faith in Christ will rise in newly perfected, restored, and resurrected bodies, then we shall know his name too, and he shall know us. Now he is an example to us to draw strength from, for we see how God has given him a steadfast faith, and we pray that God would grant us the very same. Yesterday, the church remembered Lucy, or Lucia, a young woman from Syracuse. She believed in the Lord, and in thanksgiving for his salvation, she took what was supposed to be her dowry, and she gave it to the poor. When the pagan whom her parents betrothed her to found out, he reported her to the authorities. They requested that she simply reject Christ, and all would be well. Instead, by God's grace, she confessed how Christ had brought her salvation and how he had inspired her generosity because of his sacrificial love for her. Despite her parents pleading with her to denounce Christ, she remained faithful, even as they gouged out her eyes. For what did she have need for those when the Lord had given her eyes of faith to see Jesus as her Savior? What did she need her eyes for when the Lord would give her new eyes in the resurrection? Eventually, she was put to death. But her death was not the end. It was just the entrance into life, where her soul would be with Christ, who loved her and gave her this grace to remain steadfast in the faith under persecution. She, too, is an example for us. She, too, is our sister, as are all those who have gone before us in the faith. They stand, having finished the race, to encourage us in the opposition of the devil, our own flesh, the world, and even those close to us if they do not believe. So let us give thanks to God for them, and let us pray to God that he would grant us the very same faith and the same steadfastness for his name's sake. Yes, he has delivered our souls from death. Yes, our feet from falling, that we may walk before God in the light of life. 
So let us render thank offerings to him of praise and thanksgiving, of love and service to our neighbor, and the sharing of this wonderful news in the hope that all might come to the knowledge of salvation and that Christ may open their eyes as well. Yes, let us always give thanks and praise to him who can keep us steadfast despite all that is against us until the day of his appearing in glory. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.